I'm Sunny Linarduzzi. Welcome to the Sunny Show podcast for the bright side of being your own boss and building your own life. My definition of being your own boss means showing up for yourself so you can show up for everyone and everything else personally and professionally. So congratulations on showing up, boss. I promise to support you on your journey with every single episode. Let's begin. Hey boss, this episode is all about hitting that next level. And I'm not talking about just some motivation or some random inspiration. I'm talking about cold, hard facts and actionable steps. And the only guy that I would turn to to give you this information is Todd Herman. He's become a good friend and whether he likes it or not, one of my go-to mentors. And after a conversation with him while I was in New York about a month ago, and I walked away feeling like I had a whole new perspective and, and I actually took some action in changing things in my business in a big way, I knew he needed to come on the show to help you achieve what you truly want. And the reason he's so darn good at this is because he's been doing it a very long time. Todd Herman is a high-performance coach and strategist for ambitious entrepreneurs, athletes, and leaders that want to reach wildly outrageous goals. He's helped clients reach the Olympic podium, build multi-million dollar companies, and establish brands that have become internationally known. He's owned his sports science training company for over 20 years, and his signature system, The 90 Day Year, has been named the world's top leadership and skill development program, not once, but twice. So without further ado, let's dive in. Welcome, Todd Herman, to the Sunny Show podcast. I'm so happy to have you. The doozy. What's going on? (laughs) It's a doozy. I use that line probably more than anyone else, which is actually very embarrassing. (laughs) That's that's literally what the name of your podcast needs to be. It's a doozy of a day. It's a doozy of a day. Maybe that'll be the alternate name, or maybe we'll just rebrand it entirely based Uh, on this That's what I'm going to be calling it, so... So basically everyone will call it that. Well, I'm really, really happy to have you here. Um, I have been a fan of yours and been following you and all your programs and everything for a long time, but we actually got to get to know each other a little bit better recently at an event in New York with our friend Chris Winfield. And I just enjoyed talking to you and I've heard so many great things, but I didn't realize that the moment I started talking to you, I would feel like I was in a mentorship situation or being coached (laughs) instantaneously. But I walked away from our first conversation going, whoa, I feel like I just fast tracked a couple of years in one conversation with you. So yeah. thank you. Yeah. Um, well, I think as a, as a, like a natural coach, it's so hard for me to unravel myself from like, if I see someone that I can like help in the moment, I just have to do it instead of saying, Hey, if you send me $2,000 to my PayPal account, <laughs> then I'm going to share with you the big nugget of gold for you. The, the, the secret, the secret the sauce to success. And I mean, I was willing to share with you anyway, because I mean, at the end of the day, folks, if you don't know, Sonny's dad is one of the greatest soccer coaches on the planet. Bob Leonarduzzi is an absolute legend. And I had no idea until we sat down and had pizza together. Yes. And yeah. and now you know. And I think that actually was part of the reason that when I first came across you and it, the first way that I realized like who you are, are and what you do was the 90 day year. Yeah. And I looked at your history of working with Olympians and athletes from all over the world and billionaires and 
kind of went, oh, well, I grew up in a very athletic family. My grandpa was a pro athlete. My dad was a pro athlete, still works in sports. And so there's a lot of verbiage that you use that I related to and resonated with. And really what I want to talk about today is that high performance factor that I I know for myself goes across the board of whether you're an athlete or an entrepreneur and Mm -hmm. really what what it means and how you apply it. Yeah. So, I mean, everyone, we just had like this massive drop off because you just said high performance. Like if you had said, we're going to talk about how to get $10,000 in your bank account (laughs) by tomorrow, everybody clued in. It's like, you know, I talk about the stuff that everyone knows that they need to do, but they don't want to do it. And I mean, I'm fine with that because what it does is it's a great disqualifier from people who are interested in success and committed. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of people who are like interested in reading a book on a topic and those people will read the book or read a few chapters of it. And, you know, when the author gives a call to action around what they should do, then they go, yeah, I'm going to come back to that. And that's what it looks like when someone's interested in it. And then they go and they say, you know, you should really read this book. It's a great book. And then there's the person who's committed to the topic. And what they'll do is they'll read through and they might not even complete the chapter because they might have pulled out one thing that they need to go and do right now and they'll go and they'll do it or they'll actually do the exercise. And so, you know, I know that from just the work that I've done, that the people who are truly committed towards being high performers, it's because they have this like internal call to adventure to be, you know, more of a servant to other people, or they have this like innate thing that they really want to prove someone else wrong. Like it's, it's one of those great myths around some of the stuff that's in the personal development world where they say, you know, everything that all the reasons why you need to go and do something has to be some sort of like grand, holistic, beautiful reason. And here's what I know. Some of my greatest athletes, some of their best performances came from a position of rage, like mm. anger, frustration. Um, some of the best things that were ever started, movements were started from that place as well. Not some like, oh, I want the planet to love each other more. It's a great, I mean, wouldn't that be amazing if that happened? But not always the case. So for me, to you that's listening or reading or watching right now, the pathway to you becoming and achieving more is through you cutting away mm. and doing less. Mm-hmm. Really high performance is subtraction. It's deletion. It's doing less, never doing more of something. It's never, you've already got a backpack that's filled up with enough stuff and you're climbing a mountain. The last thing I would ever want to do is throw more stuff on your shoulders and think that I'm going to somehow get you to run faster. But it feels completely counterintuitive. And I know that people listening right now are going, that sounds great. Yeah. How? How do you delete? Because I also know for myself, and we've discussed this, that I'm now at a place where I've worked my ass off and I have hustled as does everybody when you're building anything that you're passionate about. And it's rewiring my brain to be in a place where I can start deleting things. And I know that there's going to be other people thinking the same thing. So how? Yeah. Yeah. So I think one, one one of the great tools that we have that most people don't use properly is the ability to ask a great question. Mm. Einstein had said it years and years and years ago that if presented with a problem, he will spend 55 minutes on the right question and the final five minutes. If he, you know, if he's given 60 minutes to solve it, 55 minutes is spent on asking the right question because then the solution just shows up. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of people 
you know, in your crowd or, or my crowd or anyone's crowd gets hit with this, you have to do it. Like this is the only way to do things and you have to do it this way. Um, or this is the way that I've done it and you can do it too. Or this is what I'm doing right now. And this is what's getting me a lot of success. And so this is what you should do too. The stuff that I talk about is very evergreen. It's always going to be a principle that's there. It doesn't matter what industry, if I'm talking to people in sports, in corporate, in small business, in big business, it doesn't matter. The principles that always exist. And so the question is, is that what that person did when they first started like where I'm at? So a lot of people use the quote from Warren Buffett that he reads five hours a day. Interesting. I love the idea of reading five hours a day. And then people go, in order for me to be worth $72 billion like Warren Buffett is today, I need to read five hours a day. Well, I want to know what did Warren Buffett do in 1958 when he started Berkshire Hathaway? Mm. Because here's what I know. He didn't read five hours a day. He started a business. He had to hustle through those stages. I remember watching an interview with Warren Buffett back in 1999 when the tech craze was going on. Everyone was jumping on internet stocks. And, you know, this, this big boom was happening in the internet. And he was being interviewed and the person on CNBC or whatever show it was, was like, hey, are you, are you jumping on any of these uh, on the tech craze? He's like, no, because I don't understand it. We stick to the things that we know about old industries like manufacturing, like uh, retail, like, you know, fast food or whatever, because they're big owners of Dairy Queen. I don't understand the internet. I don't understand that world. And yet he built up, you know, one of the most successful investment um, funds around. So he stuck to what he was good at and they focused. Take a look at Sonny Leonard Uzi. Did you build a platform across all of the different available channels on the internet? Or did you hone and focus your skills in on YouTube? Singular focus, YouTube. But the reason that you also chose that was because you had an existing skill set that you brought to it. You were a former journalist and broadcaster. So you took that, you, you coupled that up with a real interest that you had around social media growth and the other topics that you talk about. And then you just brought it onto YouTube mm-hmm. and you, know, you leveraged an existing skill. So it comes down to, I think for some people, really knowing yourself, like, you know, you that's listening and what are those skills that you have that you've built up over time? or that you are kind of naturally gifted at, that there isn't as much resistance around. Say like for me, writing content is really, really hard. I've got dyslexia, not that I ever use it as an excuse, but it helps to shape how I do things. And so for me to sit down and write a bunch of content out would be just, if that's how I had to grow my business and be a blogger or, you know, produce articles and stuff, that's a terrible way for me to exist. Instead, if I go on and do podcasts or I do audio or I do videos, because I'm not afraid to get on a video, that's a a better medium for me. And so self-awareness is a big part of this. And then asking those right questions. Okay. Yes, that person said that. Is that right for me right now? Like that person's talking about that you have to build systems in your business. If you haven't clarified who your product is or that audience is, you're building systems around something that doesn't even exist. Mm. So people get things, I, I say all the time to people that success is more about sequencing. When you do the right thing in the right order at the right time, success is a natural byproduct. And so what I think is probably, you know, to some people that are listening is they're probably putting in the right effort just in the wrong thing at the wrong time, or it's the right time for them to be doing something and they're just doing the wrong thing. 
or it's out of order. And I'm not trying to create semantics for people, but it's, it's truly for me as someone who's, who works with people and, and you know, is the kind of the topic of the discussion that you and I had when we were having pizza together here in New York City, which by the way, if you're in New York City, <laughs> you, you gotta go. Joints to go to. I've got some, I've got some good ones. <laughs> it was um, very good. It was very good. Mm -hmm. It was the thinnest crust pizza you've ever had. It was the thinnest crust pizza I've ever had. I'm an Italian girl and I've had a lot of pizza. So I was very impressed. <laughs> Total um, side note. And unfortunately for my waistline, it's only a block away from my office here. So um, I've got to be disciplined. But, um, but it was what you and I were talking about because yeah. you, were, you were talking about you know where you're at and these opportunities that you have for doing a lot of things. And, and I was just like, you know, doubling down on, on what you've got is probably a lot better than just going more broad um, than you should. My point though about you was, you know, you started on YouTube and you built that, like that's really where you planted your flag. You didn't go onto all these other platforms. You might've been playing a little bit, but it would have been like an 80, 20, 80% of your energy on YouTube. That's exactly what I say to people. 20%. 20. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 20% playing elsewhere. Yeah. The great thing though is like once you build up the, you know, you've got this huge audience now on YouTube and let's say you didn't even have a profile on Instagram. With one video, you could say, hey, everyone, I'm over on Instagram. And from now on, I'm going to share, share some behind the scenes of how I do things here on the uh, It's a Doozy of a Day show. It's uh, <laughs> the new name. <laughs> we're going to go on a stand-up tour. I'm telling you, we're going to kill it. Because I truly am. We've discussed this, everyone's best audience. <laughs> so you'll need me. You'll need me there. <laughs> yeah. But, you can, but now... All of a sudden, you take your 175,000 subscribers on this one, and you've got 100,000 followers over on Instagram. It's exactly what happened to friends of mine, Mimi and Alex Icon, who are another couple of Canadians. They built up their e-commerce brand, uh, Luxie Hair, on YouTube. You know, Mimi's an attractive girl. She was doing lots of tutorials on how to style your hair with or with their hair extensions. No, no picture really. It was just more of a showing and demonstrating the product. Anyways, they built it up on YouTube. You know, and built their entire business off of YouTube. Mm -hmm. Never were on any of these other channels. She decided to go on Instagram and that very day they had like 185,000 followers, right? So like, I think most people are just, it's the classic case of most people are light bulbs with a lampshade off, mm -hmm. just diffusion of energy and light going everywhere. As opposed to in the early stages and phases, you really do need to be a flashlight and a laser beam. Totally. And I think another thing that I often mention and I referenced in a lot of my content is that context is really king. And yeah. we look at people who have these massive platforms and massive businesses and you see them killing it on every single platform and you're thinking that's the model for success. So yeah. it's understanding that I am such a big believer in the theory of you focus on one thing, allow that one yeah. thing to flourish and grow and master that one thing. Yeah. And then that will grow everything else. But I think that with so much comparison and with so much content out there, it is really easy to get caught up in that. Yeah. So I wanted to go back to, you know, you mentioned it's really a sequence and it's yeah. an order for entrepreneurs yeah. to follow. And I want to touch on, so if someone was starting their business today, because I know that there's someone listening right now who wants yeah. to start a business. Yeah. If you were to be able to take someone back to day one, what would be the sequence that you would have them follow? I think the first three milestones that you need to go through early on is, and none of these equal out to or are included with passion. Passion is not a part of that. For me, passion is only found after you've done the work. Think about it. It is impossible for anyone that's ever become a painter to, before they've ever painted, know that they have a passion for painting. It is, it is literally, it defies just actually the sequencing of events. You know, someone exposes you to painting, you start to paint, a feedback loop gets closed and maybe someone comes along and says, oh, wow, that's, 
that was a really nice color composition that you put together there. Or that's, that's really pretty or whatever they might say. And then that feeds inside and you're like, oh, I really like that. And then you like, you do more of it. And then out of that, your work becomes better and better and better. And then you have a passion for the thing. Um, it's like myself with any of the sports that I did. I did it, got frustrated with it, started to get some progress, like stuck it out. And all of a sudden I became passionate about that one particular sport. And so I think more people would find their, you know, their kind of path if they just did more experimentation. And so that's the, that's one thing is the mindset in the very beginning. You want to be a mad scientist in a lab more than anything else. Just, you know, mix potions and things together and see what works and, and then don't judge yourself for it and go, Oh, my hypothesis, what I thought was going to work, it didn't happen. I put together that headline inside of that video, you know, on YouTube with that description and the way that I produced it. Hmm. Seven followers, seven people watch the video. Okay, let's go back and let's do it again. Like you're never going to lose the skill. And that's the valuable part. I was talking to Gary Vaynerchuk uh, a couple of years ago. And one of the best things I ever heard him say was when we were talking about all these different platforms that people are on Snapchat and Vine. And, you know, I don't know how many people are on Vine now, but, um, <laughs> you know, Vine is really big. And he's like, think about it. All these people are like saying, ha ha, all those people on Vine, that thing's gone. He's like, Vine is about telling stories in eight seconds. How unbelievably valuable is that for you if you can tell a story in eight seconds? So what everyone's like concerned about is, oh, I'm going to build up a platform on Snapchat and then I'm going to lose it. I'm going to build up a platform over here on Medium and then Medium decides that it doesn't want you to have those followers anymore. But what are you doing the entire time? You're building up a skill set that can never be taken away and you can always take it and use it on another platform. Mm -hmm. So A, where it starts is mindset. Like at the very beginning, start with a good mindset that you're just not going to stop on this path. Okay. So that's number one. Number two is in the stages of the business is find an audience or pick a niche that you want to go and serve or pick a service or a product and or a service and a product that serves that niche or serves that audience is going to serve you really well. And the, and the mindset around that is some people go, yeah, but it's not what I want to do. No one is doing the thing that they ever started out with. Elon Musk started in banking and trying to completely revolutionize the banking industry by developing PayPal and getting rid of major banks. And he's moved on to many, many other businesses. And I would put Elon down as the greatest entrepreneur of the last hundred years. No questions asked. He's the best. But this is your starter business or this is your starter niche or your starter product or your starter service. This is just where you're starting out. But again, getting down to that whole idea that we talked about before about subtracting and deleting and, and not doing too much pick the niche. The niche isn't sports. The niche isn't even soccer. You know, you're going to get a lot more traction if you were a coach that only focused in on, I'm, I'm the greatest coach at showing you how to pass a perfect ball to a moving target. Mm -hmm. I've got a friend of mine, Skinner. He's in, um, he's a hockey coach and he specializes in puck handling skills, puck handling skills. Now he took his puck handling skills camps over to China, uh, I think South Korea as well, and in that region, and does millions of dollars off of teaching puck handling skills. That's it. Not all the other stuff that happens in hockey. He took an important skill mm -hmm. that's important part of the process, and, and he teaches that. So start small because it's easy to become a recognized authority on a smaller topic than a bigger topic. You know, it's it's hard to be Neil deGrasse Tyson, expert on science starting out. And yet a lot of people try to do that. 
Absolutely. I always say niche down or niche down, depending on where you live, (laughs) (laughs) to to blow up. So the more focused you are, the the faster you grow. Yeah. And then just like anything, you solve solve a problem. And then what does that do? Just creates another problem, another mindset to always get into is there are never, ever going to be problems that aren't going to be presented to you. You want to be the type of person, though, that's big enough, has the skills that are big enough to solve big problems. That's the attitude that you want to be like, I'm trying to build as big a shoulders as I possibly can so that these shoulders can hold heavy weight because the heavier the weight that these shoulders can handle, the more valuable I can be to more people. Starting out for those people is really, there's so much value in being very, very focused. And in another example in sport, because you know, there's, there's lots of different angles that you can play with this. I've got a pro hockey player that I've, you know, I've worked with a lot of pro hockey players as well. In, in hockey, young kids love to go and watch the YouTube videos and highlights and try to model the breakaway or the, the, the shootout kind of moves that Sidney Crosby or Alex Ovechkin or any of these other players have got. And they, they practice like 19 or 20 different moves. The number one, um, and I won't give up his name, people can do the research themselves, but the number one shootout scorer of all time, client of mine, two moves. He's got two moves. Every goalie in the league knows what his two moves are. And the average save percent, the average goalie saves four out of every five breakaways. But my client scores 68% of the time. And everyone knows what his two moves are, but he knows how to execute those two moves perfectly, flawlessly. He's invested all of his energy into that. So, And anyway. in a variety of situations as well. Variety That's the other thing. Yeah. And different pressure levels and all of those things. So it's like yeah. without fail, he's mastered that or yeah. those two moves, which says a lot about entrepreneurship as well. If you can master that one thing, it's going to allow you to diversify later on. So I think that's a really important point, especially when you're first starting out, especially in this day and age, because it feels like yeah. with all of the lifestyle entrepreneurship out there that you can just post pretty pictures or have a blog and build a business. And that's really not how it works. And I hope that from listening yeah. to me, listening to Todd, yeah. that that's, that comes across. But yeah. Well, I don't know about you, but I had a lot of people that I know that I've tried to counsel that basically had lifestyle type brands on Instagram. And when Instagram changed their platform and their delivery of your content across their platform, people had their entire incomes cut out by 70% literally Mm -hmm. overnight. Mm -hmm. And I said, yes, because it's not a business, right? Like if you want to build something just on one platform, you're not building a business. Not saying that you can't start out that way, but just know that, you know, you need to, you know, find a, a different path than just posting things and, you know, getting other people to pay you to post those things and, and stuff like that. Cause it's not a business. No, it's not a business. And you have to have something that you do own if it's really going to be your business at the end yeah. of the day, which is the audience that you're creating. And again, diversifying them onto multiple platforms so you can have different touch points in case something does go wrong because it's inevitable. Like yeah. you said, that problems will arise. So I think one of the biggest things that I appreciate about you and our conversations is that you're very data-driven and you don't like fluff (laughs) (laughs) at all. And you're not airy-fairy or hippy-dippy, which I have that side of me. So I I appreciate that as well. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that I know what people are coming to me for. And so I have to make sure I represent that. Totally. And so... I think it's a different approach than we hear a lot of the time to building businesses because there is a lot of like law of attraction and yeah. manifestation and all of those things, which you know, if that helps you in some way, that's awesome. And, and I believe in it on a certain level as well. But I wanted to talk about kind of the fundamentals of really starting to build a business and knowing the things that you should be 
measuring and, mm-hmm. and the things that you should be really looking at on a day-to-day basis to ensure that you're on the right track. And I can say for myself, I'm much more of a creative than I am data-driven or entrepreneur, I would say, and I've learned the other skill sets. But yeah. it took me a long time to get to a place where I realized, oh, I really need to be looking at numbers and, mm-hmm. and I really need to be tracking certain things to know that we're actually going yeah. in the right direction. So could you shed some light on particularly new, new entrepreneurs? What do they need to be measuring? So I always have like little reminder cards. I'm like, I probably have purchased more recipe cards than any person on the planet here. And I'm just checking to see if I actually have the one that I was just sharing with other people recently. But essentially, when it comes down to when you're first starting out, there's really only a few things that you need to be caring about as an entrepreneur. And that's how many people have I started up new conversations with today? And so in the context of the online space, that could be, which is really maybe new opt-ins, into your database. If you're someone who sells higher pricing, it could be just, you know, people that you've started to reach out to. And then the second one is how many people do I currently have in a marketing or sales sequence? So one is how many people have I started up a new relationship with today? Second is how many people do I have coming through a conversational sequence or a marketing sequence or a campaign or whatever words you want to use? And then the third one is, is how many sales have we made? That's, that's really it. Like we can talk about tons of other KPIs or sales, but those three things will pretty much govern any kind of business. And, and so then it's backing up to that is, okay, now go to your calendar because the calendar is the field of play for all of us. You know, on a football field, that's where the activity happens. On the soccer field, that's where the activity happens. On a hockey ice sheet, that's where the activity happens. And that's where the scoring happens for us the activity is on our calendar. That's our field of play. So my question, and like, Sonny, if you were working with me one-on-one, what I would have from you is I would have, you would send me your calendar um, so that I can see your calendar. I wouldn't have it on all all the time because Google Calendar, I can turn it off and on. But if I wanted to check in on you today, I could just flick on your calendar and I could say, okay, what are some of the activities that are on Sonny's calendar for this week and next week? And that activity list will, for me, show me what's going to be happening in the future. So if you have no activities on there and you, I know that you've got six team members maybe, and there's no activities on there where you're talking to your team, checking in on your team's projects and developing your team or whatever. I know that you're going to have a culture issue mm-hmm. a month, two months, three months from now. Could be burnout you're going to have and you're going to have turnover possibly, all that kind of stuff. If I don't see any activities on there that are sales related or marketing related, if you're a new person in business, then I know that you're hiding in research, you're hiding in comfortable activities like just producing content for the sake of producing content. So that's your field of play. So when you have those three metrics that you're tracking, you know, how many people have I started a relationship with? How many people do I have coming through some sort of marketing sequence? And then number three is how many people have we brought into our business? And I don't see on your calendar that you're doing anything to help improve those things. I know you're going to have an unhealthy business. And then, if I look at it, yeah, and then if I look at it and I see that you're doing a ton of different things, then I also know that you're not going to uh, be able to make an impact fast enough. And that's just, that's probably the most important piece of this entire interview. People just walk away from that one thing, like just being mindful. It's not complicated. Mm-hmm. If you really break the fundamentals down of any business or a business unit inside of a massive company like Procter & Gamble or whoever, fundamentally, they're going to be tracking those three numbers. And I think it's interesting 
to note, because actually this was something that I was not totally aware of until we started chatting. You have been doing this entrepreneurship thing a lot longer than <laughs> this online thing. Oh my God, yeah. Yeah. So you've had a lot of successful businesses. You've also been very candid to say that you've had business failures as well, which I think is yeah. part, of, part of the process. So this knowledge and those three fundamentals are based on a lot of information and a lot of yeah. experience. And I think are key in how you can relate to every level of entrepreneur and whether it's successes or failures, that mindset piece that you spoke about earlier is really the biggest factor I would say mm -hmm. in growing in the long term. And I wanted to loop it back around to high performance and I wanted yeah. to loop it back around to what that really means and how to implement it into your day to day at any phase, because yeah. whether you're in the growth phase and you're just trying to hustle along or you're at a place where you're now trying to delegate and build a team and you are trying to get rid of things, yeah. how do you ensure that you're in a place where you're making sure that you are growing and you're not going to plateau and that you are setting yourself for, up for sustain, sustainable long-term success as opposed yeah. to an overnight success? Yeah. So high performance for, for me um, is about three main things. It's about performance, achievement, and execution. Those are the three things that we're always focusing on. And they actually map to time. You know, we live in a, we live in a world where we have past, we have the present, and then we have the future. So past is your performance. Achievement is your future. And execution is your present. So when working with people, because, you know, I like the data, all of us have stories in our head. Most of the stories that we tell ourselves are just flat out lies. Mm -hmm. They're not in truth. They're based in a lot of judgments and opinion and things. And, and in order for me to help someone, I can't work with, you know, as we were talking before about words that we don't use in business and in, in my business, potential is a word that's not allowed to be used by clients and customers. And we don't use it in our stuff because potential is this ethereal amorphous thing that means nothing. Mm -hmm. People, I mean, my quote on it is, you know, potential is the word average people use to excuse away crappy results. <laughs> Enough said. Yeah, enough yeah. said. So I'm, I'm kind of tough on it. But yeah. what, what I want to focus on then um, something is I want to know what are your capabilities? It's different than potential. You could be semantics. You could say it's the same thing. But really capabilities for me, because it's a different, it feels like it's got more substance to it. It's got more weight to it than potential. It's ethereal capability. Like what's your, what are your capabilities? And then let's build off of that. Not just amorphous idea of you think that you can dunk a basketball because you just believe in yourself. Well, good right. for you. So performance, achievement, and execution, I want to get to the, the data. Like, I, like let's, let's do a diagnostic. You know, if you walked into a doctor's office and he just looked at you and said, oh, you need this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You need an opt-in page. You know, you're like, well, that's, you don't, okay. you don't ask me any questions. I don't like, I mean, manufacturing, why do I need an opt-in page? So there's all these people who just keep prescribing the exact same thing to people. For me, I want to get the data. So let's take a look at your past. Over the last 90 days, what worked? What didn't work? You know, what are their strengths? What are your weaknesses? And we do that mapped against, so for business owners, I talk about that there's the five pillars of every business. Every business has five main pillars. Your marketing and sales pillar, your product pillar, product and offers pillar, your operations and technology, and uh, your people and leadership, and then your finance pillar. Those are the five main pillars. So we have a series of questions that we get people to answer just to find like, you know, scale of one to 10, how are you on new lead generation? How are you on your conversion system? Now that you've got data, now we can start to see, okay, well, where do you have like anxiety and stress and what's weak right now? And this starts to guide now down a funnel path, basically of great decision-making what you should start to do right now. So performance is all about, I want to get the data. 
Okay. It's the game film, you know, mm-hmm. a player goes on the field, they play the play, they execute. And now they go into the, the film room and they look at the data. They look at that. Okay. Oh yeah. I start to see a pattern that's existing. You start to wire your mind better for success because you're being strategic. And I think in business, the biggest weakness of most people is they don't know how to think strategically. And then the next problem is people try to teach you how to think strategically. And for me, I know that strategy is really hard to teach. So the way that I built out my high performance system, which is the night of the year, is I get you to experience strategy so that it becomes wired into your DNA and you automatically just start thinking that way. Instead of me saying, strategy is when you do this, this, and this. And then you're like, okay, now you intellectually know it, but it's hard for you to see the world through strategy. So anyways, we go through performance, we get the data, and then we move into, instead of going into execution, execution is like, you know, raise your hand if you're on here right now and you've heard about productivity, how important it is to be productive. Well, that's the execution phase. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people start trying to be productive with completely unoptimized systems, mm-hmm. right? They're, they're productively doing the wrong thing at the right time, right? So I'm trying to get people to work on the right thing in the right order at the right time. So that's why we walk them through this system because now we're getting some data. Then we go to, before we actually get to you executing anything, I want to know, Sonny, where do you want to go? And we call it the MVP. What's your mission and your vision? Those two coupled together equals a purpose. That's your MVP. So, you know, what's your mission that you're on? What's your vision? So we can start aligning those two things because mission and vision are a very, very hard thing to get right. If you're just starting on a business, because a lot of people say, you got to have a vision for your business. Here's the reality. You really don't. When you're just starting out, you just want to get out there and make some freaking money, maybe. Mm-hmm. Or you just want to get on the field and be an entrepreneur. That's actually your mission and your vision. Trying to articulate it in some other ethereal way so that you can take it to someone and they can put it up on their wall and it looks like some beautiful little poster. No, <laughs> don't. So Simon Sinek is out there and he starts what starts with why. And it's a great idea, but it doesn't start with why. It starts with where. Mm. Where are you? Mm. Then why do you want to go there? So why is definitely part of the equation, but it's not where you start. And so once we get that mission, that vision, then we move into, okay, well, in 90 days, and 90 days is important because a lot of studies have been done around procrastination and avoidant behavior, two big problems for people. And it's only getting worse because of the pace of change that we're in. Any goal or project that goes beyond 90 days typically creates really, really high levels of procrastination and and avoidant behavior in people. So for us, we always work on 90-day goals. What's the goal that you want in 90 days? And we only ever work on one goal. Everything that you do inside your 90 days as projects and things you work on should be rolling up to that 90-day goal. So if your goal, when you're just starting out, and and there's really only so many goals in business, and most of them always roll up to like numbers. Mm -hmm. You know, my goal of the next 90 days is to make, you know, $5,000 a month in Mm -hmm. leveraged income or just have $10,000 a month in in new business coming to my business or or like $2 million, whatever it might be for someone. Then we go to, okay, now what are the projects you're going to do to hit that goal? So everything that we're doing is actually creating a lot of alignment right? So strengths and weaknesses, got those in our head. Okay, great. How can I help solve them? Before I do, where am I going to? What's my mission and my vision, right? That's my North Star. That's what I'm trying to get to. I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I'm going to start a business or, you know, I'm going to scale this thing. I'm going to scale my current company to, you know, 150 new employees. Great. Now, what's that one goal that if you did it would be a great milestone marker for you to get there fast? Okay, awesome. Now, what are the projects? How are you, this is where we start to get into execution. How are you going to choose to use your time, your money, your skills, and the people that are in your environment, you know, your team members or whatever, 
because that's what projects are. Projects are about using resources. So what projects are you going to choose to hit that goal? Is it going to be, you know what? One of my projects to hit that goal is to publish three new videos every single day on YouTube, only talking, only talking about target market. One of my good friends, Dan Martell, I think, you know, Dan as well. Yeah, love Dan. Um, just an, another awesome Canadian. We're so, all Canadians. If you don't know, Todd is Canadian. <laughs> I am Canadian. I've been in New York now for 11 years, 12 years, trying to, trying to take over this town. But, um, you know, I, I said to Dan, you know, like, cause Dan's publishing all these great, great content on YouTube. About a year and a half ago, I was like, Dan, like be the best thing in the software space. Stop talking to the general audience that's yes. helping business. Cause he has a huge heart. He wants to help mm -hmm. a lot of people, but I'm like, you are best suited to helping those software people. Plus once you do, you can actually start talking to the specific needs and problems and frustrations and, you know, risks and myths in software mm -hmm. as people grow their businesses mm -hmm. completely changed his, his growth rate on, on his stuff. So, you know, maybe that's one of your projects is to, oh, I'm going to really go, I'm going to double down on YouTube because I feel comfortable in front of videos. I love videos, or maybe it's, you know what, I'm going to write content or maybe it's none of that. Maybe it's, you know what, I'm going to reach out to five new people in my local market every single day and write them a handwritten note, letting them know how much I appreciate them being in the Edmonton or Topeka, Kansas, or, you know, Manchester, UK area, because it makes our city a better place. Why do I, why am I so, so specific about that? Because I've written a handwritten letter. I was just going to say this. <laughs> for five days or for um, every day of the week since I was uh, 21. So 21 years now. So it's over, I'm up to like 4,300 plus letters that I've written. And that's how I campaign it. I'm like, how can I make a big impact? I'm going to write as many letters just for this group. And that's going to be my local area. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people, they have this desire to want to be big across the entire world. Mm -hmm. I think you need to think local and act global. I agree. And there's a lot of opportunity locally. Anyways, my point is, what's the project that you're going to choose to use your time with? And then it comes down to executing. How are you planning your days? You know, and we can get into all sorts of strategies that I get into inside the night or how you do that how you build great strong routines and that kind of thing but that's really the process of what we go through to build high performers but at the end of the day Sonny the one thread that weaves all those things together is about being very simple and specific about what it is that we're trying to target instead of trying to get people to do a million things it's not like how can we take that amazing resource that you have already, which is your past experiences and your ambition and your motivation and focus that in on just one specific thing. I want to hand people a sledgehammer to crack open an egg. Like it's, you're making an impact on that. To thing. just that dominate. Thing, and that yes. thing does not stand a chance. Yes. Right? And it's, it's true for, cause there, there's a lot of people listening that are at all different stages of business. And I know that there's someone out there listening right now going, but I'm just one person. And we talked about teams and, and building yeah. out teams and all that. And that's a question that I get asked a lot is when is the appropriate time to create a team or bring people in to help your business? I would say one of my biggest, not regrets, but what I wish I had done a little earlier maybe is, yeah. is bring on a team. So do you want to shed a little Please. bit of light on that? Yeah. On that? So here's, here's my rule of thumb on it is, and I agree. Uh, I was the same way. I wished I would have continued to eat noodle soup longer mm. starting out. And what I mean by that is instead of me taking that money and making the quality of my life just a little bit better, I would have been able to accelerate my path to success if I would have just stayed living. Cause I mean, I wasn't like 
dying. You know, I could have continued to eat itchy band soup up in Canada you know, where I, when I started, um, which is noodle soup for the rest of you. Mm-hmm. Um, I could continue to eat noodle soup and taking the money and giving it to someone else, which is an employee or a new staff member or a new executive assistant. And now I've acquired an asset that frees up my time to do more of the thing that I was really, really good at. Right. And so if you are starting out, start to keep a log of those items that really drain your energy, those things that you naturally want to avoid. And that's actually easy for all of you. I bet all of you could go right now and say, this is the not doing list. (laughs) I don't want to do. And here's the thing. Some of those things might be marketing. Some of those things might be the things, the very things you need to be doing in order to grow your business, but you don't feel like you're a natural marketer. Now I've built up a lot of businesses and I am not a natural marketer. I am a product person and a customer focused person. There are other people who are great at marketing and, and getting messages out there. I would say that you're very good at marketing. You're kind of a blend between a marketing and product person, but you got no problems. For me, that was always a big struggle. Originally, my, my mind just didn't naturally go there. So one of the first things I did was actually bring in uh, outside of my executive assistant, which by the way, bar none will always be the most important hire of your entire life. Your executive assistant more than if you scaled up a company and you're, it's a chief operating officer, your executive assistant is the most important. And I've got a lot of interviews with CEOs who will say, the, say that same thing, like hundreds of them. Only one person has answered differently. Everyone else has said their executive assistant was their most important hire. But taking it anyways, just logging that stuff, maybe staying poorer or longer so that you can hire someone else to come in and take that's, stuff off your plate. That's it's so refreshing to hear. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> because we, you don't need the Lamborghini. You don't need the flash. And actually, it's detrimental in the long run to necessarily be, to, to be investing in things that are maybe making your life a little better, flashier, easier at yeah. the time, but not building a long-term sustainable business, like you said. Yeah. And you know what? Like if, if someone, I mean, I've got friends who, who love cars. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not something that I really care about. Um, I care about spending money on experiences with my little kids here in, you know, New York and, and, and taking them places or flying in my parents and, and doing stuff like that. I'd much rather spend my money on experiences, but to each their own. However, if you are pulling if you are sucking resources out of your business mm-hmm. to go and buy flashy things to impress people that you don't even care about, mm-hmm. you know, to use, I think Will Smith said it, but I think he probably got it from someone else too. You've taken your focus off the wrong and put it on the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. And it'll circle back eventually and you'll, you'll be able to readjust. But yeah, yeah, I think that's a really important takeaway that isn't often discussed is that it's okay to live very modestly in the first couple of years of your business or however long it takes. You yeah. know, actually invest into a team that's going to help you grow further faster. Here, here's the reality. You were just talking about how, how hard you've been hustling, right? The nature of it is there's only so long that you can maintain that level of activity before you do get burned out. Mm-hmm. So I'd much rather bring in other people and stay modest and pull myself out of this habit and routine of epic hustle. Like I, I mean, that was the, that was the title of my former podcast was Grit and Hustle. I'm a massive you know, proponent of it. However, what happens naturally is you develop this routine and this habit of doing things. The problem though is you, if you continue to do the same things that got you where you are, those same things will not get you to where you want to go. Mm-hmm. Right? So that hustle mentality won't always be the best strategy to help get you to that next stage. Um, because especially when you have a team, it'll burn out your team is what it will do. Absolutely. Well, we're going to head into the speed rant now. And right. uh, <laughs> so it doesn't have to be one word answers. Yeah. Just as fast as you can. Okay. First thing that comes to mind. Okay. Done. Best business book every entrepreneur should read. 
Business Model Generation by Alexander Osterwalder. I've never heard that one before, so thank so, you for a new one. Business Model Generation, I think it's one of the most important business books written in the last 30 years. Phenomenal book, just from an intellectual property, thought leader perspective, just incredible stuff. Alex is amazing. Read it. Awesome. This is kind of a unique one that I just threw in for you based on one of our conversations. The best movie you've ever seen. Love Actually. <laughs> Lies. <laughs> well, and here's the thing. Why you're asking that is because I tell everybody that I'm the world's worst movie critic because I love every single movie. Every single movie is in my top three of all time. You know, my friends say, don't ask Todd if a movie is good because he'll send you to a crappy movie. Even And yet he was really excited about how good it was. So, <laughs> What are you most grateful for today? Most grateful for the fact that um, tomorrow I get to go do some adventures with my little kids in the New York area. Yeah, just some fun stuff. Awesome. What are your daily non-negotiables? Daily non-negotiables are one that I absolutely have to write that letter every single morning. It's the first thing I do. And second is connecting with uh, someone, whether it's you know, an existing client just deepening the relationship or connecting to someone new would be another one. And then a third one is all actually around people. And again, I'm saying these things, but they're not really super top of mind. The first one's definitely top of mind. The third one is I love striking up random conversations with people that I don't know. Cause for me, it like, like helps flex the communication muscle. Mm-hmm. I am the world. I'm, I would love to get an award for this. I think I'm the world's best elevator conversation starter. Okay. Yeah. Like everyone That's else gets in the elevator and doesn't say a word. Okay. I am like a super champ at striking up conversations. That's a skill. I, yeah. Congratulations. If I had an award, I'd give it to you because it Thanks. is very awkward. On I, I have an elevator in my building. It's a very awkward situation on a daily basis. I try. Most yeah. people want to talk in elevators. Yeah, we'd be 30-second best friends. We'd be 30-second best friends. <laughs> I could see that. Can you just tell us what your, what your go-to opener is? Yeah, so always mention something that's circumstantial. What I mean is like, you, um, like if you got in the elevator and you had like a, a really colorful set of shoes on, I'd be like, I'm not going to lie, I really like those shoes. Now, I've said that like hundreds of times, Sonny. The funniest response that I've gotten, which is consistent, not really funny, but it's the number of times people have said, oh my God, I just bought these shoes. I was so nervous about wearing them today. And like, you've literally just set them up for a phenomenal day. That's so, awesome. So it's always typically something that people are, are wearing or just a funny way that they got into the elevator. Like, I'll, like if someone comes in and they hit like number two, I'll be like, really? <laughs> number two. You know, like, I know, like, people are self-conscious about that, right? And if you just bring it up in conversation, it's just, yeah. I like it. I yeah. like it. That's, those are good ones. And I'm, I'm going to actually try that and let you know how it goes. Yeah. So next question, favorite kind of music to listen to when you work out? When I work out? Mm-hmm. EDM. Really? Yeah. No way. Oh, I used to be a big time raver back in the day. Stop it. Are you oh, serious? Yeah. Next question. This will be interesting. Best advice you've ever received from a mentor? That's a tough one because I've had a lot of amazing mentors and that's a big part of my life. I would say from a professional standpoint, um, Harvey Dorfman, who's considered like the Yoda of the mental game world, that's actually what he's called is Yoda. He wrote the Bible on the entire um, world called Coaching the Mental Game. I went and spent 33 days with him in North Carolina. And very first day one, when we were talking about just what we do at, with working with clients, he said, our job is to hold up a mirror and show people either how good they actually are 
or how bad they actually are. Because most people completely overestimate how good they are at something or they underestimate how good they are at something. Mm -hmm. The nuance around that, most men will typically overestimate because we've got an ego and we overestimate. Females will typically underestimate how good they are at something. And so he was just like, you know, our job is to hold up the mirror. And that's why for me, data is really important because I want you to get the full purview of what it's truly like instead of just some ethereal idea. I like it. What are the three main characteristics of a successful entrepreneur? Uh, definitely grit, you know, the ability to just stick it out. Another one is negative capability, um, which is a concept that the writer John Keats came up with. Uh, negative capability is the idea that despite the fact that the circumstances you're in could be negative, things look like they're not going your way, you still believe and feel that you can make it happen. Mm. That, you know, it's that confidence factor that's really tough to kind of put into words with people. So those two. And then I think the willingness to give up control. A lot of people think that entrepreneurship is about control. And yet that's the very thing that will be a handcuff to you always being shackled to your business mm -hmm. instead of the idea that you're here to empower other people to play another role in your business and let them do it better than you or innovate on that as well. Those are good and unique compared to a lot of the other answers we've gotten. So I liked that. Um, needs, um, this. <laughs> <laughs> what is, I can't wait to hear your answer on this one. What is the biggest lie about online business? Uh, that it's simple. This is the hardest business model I've ever been a part of like an online business model. It takes a lot of marketing skill. I think to become very good at it or to get started anyway. And that wasn't always what my, I'm a relationship person. So every business I've ever built has always been around relationships. Now, the reason I was able to scale really fast is because I use relationships to scale the online teaching brand for that we have. But I think just that it's, it's simple because marketing is a very complex ecosystem. You know, it's a lot of psychology and a lot of numbers. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know if there's a new one there. No, I, 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 it's, it's interesting. And I think it'll surprise a lot of people that you said that. And I think it's refreshing to hear that as well. Uh, what are you most proud of in your business? Um, the leaders that are in it, definitely. Like, I mean, I get more satisfaction out of, you know, continuously developing the team and giving them more challenges and seeing them grow because that only then just permeates out into the success that we have with customers. Mm -hmm. uh, what are you most proud of in your life? Oh, uh, my, my wife, my family. Yeah. Easy. Yeah. What is your definition of being your own boss? The ability to choose the response to a situation. So it's not just about being my own boss in business. It's about being my own boss of my life. And I don't think anyone ever said it best than Fred Rogers from his neighborhood. He's got a great video on that idea that his, he feels like his responsibility is to teach young little girls and little boys that, you know, even though you can feel like hitting something and smashing something that you can choose a different response. And I think that's really what being your own boss is about is you're going to get hit with a different circumstance every single day. That's going to try and pull you off course. Another obstacle is going to place in front of you and you get to choose how you're going to respond to that. I love it. Before we tell people where to go to look at the 90 day year, get more involved in what you do. I have two questions from my team, actually. Mm -hmm. Veronica on my team is a big fan of yours and she has two very important questions. Yeah. One, is the podcast coming back? This summer. Amazing, she's gonna be very happy to hear that. Two, when does your book come out? January. Perfect, there you go, Veronica, I told you I'd ask. <laughs> 
<laughs> so finally, where do you want people to go to learn more about you and the 90 day year? Yeah. So, I mean, if they want to learn more about, you know, the system that we were kind of just talking about earlier, they can go to 90dayyear.com and get all the information and stay in touch with us and all the links to all the social goodies are there too. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Todd. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it with your fellow bosses. Congratulations on showing up for yourself today. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll talk to you in the next episode.